0: Welcome to Behavior Babes Podcast, presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. Aloha. Hi, Rebecca. Are you there?
1: Yes, I am. Hi, Amanda.
0: Hi. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Sure, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, Why
0: don't you go ahead and give a quick introduction for our listeners um, to get us started?
1: I'd be glad to. So uh, my name is Rebecca Womack, and I am a board-certified behavior analyst and licensed behavior analyst. Um, When I think about, like, how to introduce myself, um, I think what makes sense is just to kind of talk a little bit about how I – came into this field, which was through accepting a position at uh, North Dakota State University in Fargo, and I was very grateful to work under Ray Miltenberger, um, and it was at that time that I learned a lot about functional behavior assessments and functional analyses and um, all things applied behavior analysis. And that became such a strong platform for me to dive into a career where um, I've had experiences working with adults at an intermediate care facility, which is essentially a way of saying long-term residential treatment for adults with intellectual disabilities. Um, I've been thankful to consult um, at those facilities, and then also i worked in the community where um, adults with IDD, live-in group homes, and they're serviced by residential agencies. Um, And through that process, I just, for whatever reason, was always serving clients with very severe behaviors and um, risky behaviors, and so I went through crisis training and a lot of just extreme experiences that, at the time, were difficult and um, stressful and unfortunate, But, again, became something that I could draw from later on down the road to help me, you know, whether it's training other people or or serving, you know, new populations. Um, But after a while, because the intensity of the work that I was doing was quite taxing and difficult, I um, wanted to go back to some of the work that I was doing in grad school, which was working with children. And so – I accepted a position to serve military families who had children with autism, and um, that led to a lot of different opportunities, you know, including consulting and training and um, helping establish areas and teaching other analysts, and, and through that process, I, I think national consequences led me to be able to um, help train other people to do certain things within the scope of, you know, a client's treatment, um, because that's part of what I love is helping other people grow and also learning from other people, Um, and just after those experiences and also being able to go overseas um, and do some of the same work with one of my favorite colleagues, um, it led to working with. uh, Clinics and center-based services, and um, serving um, families who have children when they wanted to receive uh, therapy in a home setting, not just with you know the Tricare health benefit, but with also commercial insurances. And so now I'm here, which is in East Texas. And um, when I'm not doing all things behavior analysis, I take care of our turkeys and uh, ducks and chickens. So. Kind of a nice balance. It's always about trying to find that balance. And what an incredible journey you've had.
0: Um, In my experiences, when I see people transition or work with adults, they go from having an experience with children and transitioning into sort of adult services or wanting to. And I think a lot of that stems from our clients or individuals themselves having been children and then growing up and wondering and and realizing that there's not uh, the same level of services available. When you transitioned from working with adults to children, um, I'm sure some things were similar and some things were different. Can you speak to us about some of the things that you saw that were different in the transition?
1: Oh, that's a very insightful question. So, what was different was kind of the end result of of ABA or lack of ABA with adults. Most of the, I don't. Actually, I recall working or serving an adult that had received ABA as a child. Um, so, you know, just encountering what a, a child presents or looks like where they have not received any services, but they have the potential for change and intervention ahead of them with their life and their timeline. Um, so that was different because it, it just felt very hopeful and there was so much more opportunity. Um, not that... I want to be very careful to say that not working with adults doesn't mean that it's hopeless, but there's a lot of limitations. And so the population I worked with, limitations included um, working with waiver systems and being, you know, placed in a long-term residential treatment setting. And so those limitations were not my ability to control most of the time, but those were not present with children. And so there was a lot of freedom to, drive their treatment path, and also engage, you know, members of their treatment team, whether it's the parents or the pediatrician or, you know, other wraparound services. Uh, what was similar was just those core deficits and the need to use our behavior analyst principles, whether it's decreasing problem behaviors or facilitating um, a replacement behavior um, specific to whatever the purpose of the treatment was. Thank you for sharing
0: that, um, from your, your unique perspective. One of the things that I think often is a limitation, whether we're trying to work with new populations and new settings or apply behavior analysis to, um, additional populations or applications is the limitation of a funding source. And our field has seen a lot of growth, a lot of it very painful, growing pains of, what it looks like to have, um, you know, the need for advocacy for services and for um, equitable access to care and for appropriate funding and for that to be looked at across the lifespan and across settings. And you've done a great deal of work, or your work has led you to do a great deal of advocacy. And um, you're really, I think, in many ways, Rebecca, especially um, to a lot of the online um, platform, you're seen as a real expert in this area. Can you share with us your journey to advocacy um, for, for the listeners on the podcast
1: today? Um, sure, and thank you. That's very kind of you to say. Um, you know, I am not graceful accepting any kind of compliments. It just makes me <laughs> and I feel awkward because I don't, when I engage with social media, it's in my office so there's not an audience. It's just me and the turkeys are squawking in the background or gobbling in the background, so um, I don't think about those kinds of consequences, but um, in terms of getting to this point, that really started, the advocacy started in a couple of ways, so when I was working with children initially, one of the thoughts I had, in some of the conversations I had with parents included just telling them, I understand what happens when services don't occur or when services are less than optimal. Part of my goal is to help prevent that end product where there is long-term placement. Or if there's long-term placement, it is the best in the best situation possible where the person is able to speak and advocate for themselves to some extent to help support their independence. Um, So when I started providing services for the TRICARE benefit and families, there were just some policy changes that happened around that time when I was working as a sole provider that were really frustrating and difficult. And um, I think I honestly have to attribute this to my mom, but she taught me just to call and ask questions, whether it was at Walmart for what time they closed or the defense health agency program leader or the autism care demonstration program about why their webinar did not make sense when we think about the tenets of our science and their, Um, changes that they're wanting to implement. Um, And so during those conversations with, at the time, the gentleman's name was Doug McBroom, at least, I was relaying the content of that conversation to just different providers I was collaborating with. And one of them, who she's not a provider, but she's an advocate, was Karen Driscoll. She uh, thankfully connected me with Dr. Megan Miller. And um, Megan shared some information about the Behavior Analysis Advocacy Network with me, that this was a project both she and other colleagues had been working on for some time, um, developing kind of a mission and outline and all these different kind of goals, but nothing really came of it just because, you know, life and things are busy. But she asked to me if I would be willing to help just kind of, start um, the organization officially or kind of pick up where everybody else left off. And I'm thankful for that because at that time I was communicating directly with um, the chief medical officer for Tricer who they no longer have that position, but at the time that's where I was at. And it was helpful to just at least have a title because it wasn't just me, Rebecca, as like an annoying flea in their ear, but now I have a title and there's an organization and Um, kind of just brought more credibility to my position. Um, While, you know, we were advocating for issues pertaining to the policy changes at that time and how it was impacting providers, I think just natural consequences, again, steered and shaped my own behavior as well as um, Dr. Miller and Laura Stacey, who is her um, business partner, in terms of shaping band's mission, and so the, you know, providers started to reach out and asking for assistance or guidance on certain issues, and um, fast forward, you know, a couple of years, I was and have been thankful to remain engaged with um, the Defense Health Agency. In terms of them, you know, I'm not more special than any other person. I want to make that very clear. They are willing to talk to people who bring questions to the table, um, what I appreciate about their willingness to be receptive to me is that, you know, I just bring them on behalf of, you know, a single person or a family or multiple people, and they're great about getting responses back. Um, so as our work continued, though, um, in this past spring, and, and some of the changes that occurred were more significant and have far more far-reaching implications for providers and families, um, this necessitated a trip out to Washington, D.C. to facilitate concerns to um, members on the Hill and um, then sharing that information with people who, you know, received the benefit as well as providers to implement the benefit. And so now we're at this point where, again, I'm continuing to try and work with other like-minded organizations who maybe not are doing the very same thing, but they are concerned about advocacy for um, those that are receiving applied behavior analysis therapy and um, are willing to share information and and help because this is certainly beyond me as an individual person to do. Um, And so, you know, now I'm here and what I do on my free time is I work on all things Which is primarily right now helping support issues pertaining to um, Tricare.
0: Wow, I don't even think I had an appreciation for the depth of what it was that you've been working on, and I think some of that has to come down to, like you said, there's just not enough hours in a day for everyone to be doing everything all the time, and. That, that is the benefit to, you know, concentrated efforts of advocacy and, and starting to create models. Um, I know you and I were talking a little bit earlier about systems in general and oh. how do we develop a protocol and a process and um, something that I shared in a, a recent podcast episode on, you know, kind of why don't behavior analysts get involved as much um, as we should or as more than we do and, you know, one of the things I had talked about is there's no how-to, there's no manual. And so if, you know, for those of us who are doing advocacy work, I think it came out of a – it came from a place of necessity. And mm-hmm. so one of the recommendations I had was create those manuals, start to document that process, start to create sort of a task analysis for involvement um, to try to begin how we're going to – structure new systems, but also I think we have the challenge of improving or working with existing systems. Can you share with us
1: more about your interest in that topic? Yes, gladly. Exactly. Like, I have hearts in my eyes while I'm listening to you talk about that, because I feel like that is such, it's just such a simple concept. I mean, what it is, is the scientific method? is identifying your dependent measures, your independent variable And then looking at the process of testing our hypothesis, get your baseline information, look at the metrics you want to change, develop and pull from evidence-based research what your independent variable is going to be, and then put it into play. So transferring that process into operations and systems, whether it's advocacy or, you know, providing ABA therapy, it's been highly useful for me and so um when you think about advocacy i try to use it in terms in every possible way so whether it's facilitating a concern um i've developed my own approach based off of our code and keeping our code of ethics in mind um but you know looking at what others have done as kind of my baseline what i have done and what i like and don't like about that and then I'm trying to activate a mechanism for change within the independent variable, and then um, documenting that and looking at my dependent measures and seeing if it's working. And so when it does work, you're doing exactly um, or saying what exactly what I've been doing, documenting that, making a plan, making templates, um, presenting webinars and collaborating with other people and sharing information about those ways or systems to do that so that, other people can benefit because it really does. I mean, it's great if I figure something else out and works for me, but it's powerful and meaningful if it can be shared with other people and they can take it, use it, and or make it better themselves so that more can benefit from it because ultimately the the focal point is always, for me, my eyes are on the child or the, the person receiving services. What does this do to them? So if I'm engaging with, a senator, about concerns for a provider, like that's whatever. But in my mind's eye, I'm thinking about that child and what that means for their ability to make progress on their treatment path designed by their provider. That's what matters and how that decreases stress for that family and how that promotes um, the likelihood of their success in the future. Um, And the same kind of he said for translating that to Known organization. So, if you're onboarding people and you know they're reporting different kind of experiences, like whether it's good or bad, taking what is good, replicating it; taking what is bad, fine-tweaking it; documenting the process; always looking at the data to um, determine whether it's good or bad and how to go forward, Um, and then putting it into a, a way that can be replicated across the company or with other companies across regions, but then keeping that core concept about our science the, the individualization of treatment, I say that with air quotes, or your independent variable as much as possible. So that can be said set for um, setting up center-based services or services that both go to the center and the home and how you... Um, you know, ensure that your plans get approved as much as possible. So, like, using a task analysis to make sure that your treatment plans have all the um, requirements of our code and the payer and then, um, you know, making sure that the parents approve that. And putting all that in place so that you're focusing on what is most effective and most efficient because that becomes then the platform for optimizing on the opportunity, whatever the opportunity is. Um, And so just kind of circling that back to advocacy, my hope is to continue to improve upon the things that, you know, I've shared and documented and learned from other people so that the most people can benefit, not for any other sake than the child receiving services and the family who's there with that child.
0: I really appreciate how you talked about being effective and efficient to optimize outcomes Um, On another podcast episode with Dr. Um, Amanda LaPreme, we had talked about, you know, trying to put ourselves out of a job, right, and and Mm -hmm. making it so that we get the change that we're seeking to achieve as quickly as possible so that we can transition to the next individual or situation or system that may need our support um, or that may benefit or ask us to to assist. Um, And as a behavior analyst, I think, you know, we are often taking on – a lot trying to help others, trying to help ourselves, trying to help the system, trying to help society. And I feel that we're going to best be able to do that by, as you mentioned, officially, um, you know, exercising the, the basic principles and that application and understanding of those basic principles of behavior analysis into our applied everyday work. Uh-huh. Rebecca, I really want to thank you for joining us today and um, just quickly before we, we get off here, I wanted to ask you two, two more questions, and one is just um, any last words, parting advice, anything that you'd like to say to our listeners, and the second one is um, any plugs or websites or contact information, anything you'd like to share for our, our listeners as well. Great.
1: Thank you for that. And so in terms of advice, thanks for the opportunity, I would say it would be for anyone who's listening that has considered whether or not they could try and advocate, um, the answer is absolutely yes. Again, there was nothing special about me or different about me except persistence and consistency. I had a lot of unanswered emails and a lot of um, scheduled appointments that never came through in terms of meetings, and that didn't deter my focus on trying to achieve results for children. So, If you're questioning whether or not you're a fit, it is yes. And what makes you um, succeed is your ability to persist and be consistent with what you're wanting to do. In terms of wanting to share information on our website, I would say yes, with a caveat. The website has not been updated for about five years, and I'm so grateful for um, one of our interns who's just recently joined Van. Her name is Logan. And she has been incredibly generous and helpful with her time. So she'll be working on that in the next um, few months. So no pressure, Logan, because everybody knows about you now. Um, but when that kind of comes to fruition, and I'm thankful for Ryan O'Donnell. He's been excellent in consulting and helping during my um, thinking about this. I will certainly be glad to share that information for, with you and anybody else who's interested Thank you, Rebecca.
0: And, again, thank you so much for sharing your expertise and your time with
1: us today on the line. Of course. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, Amanda. You're doing an awesome job. that's just sharing you with everybody, and that's wonderful. So thank you for that.
0: Oh, I appreciate the feedback. And for anyone who's interested in more information about applied behavior analysis, you can visit me and find me at www.behaviorbabe.com. I'm sorry,